Hey, Metal Working Nation, Jim here. Just want to let you know about this fantastic Okuma Summer Showcase 2019. It's going to be July 24th and 25th in their Charlotte, North Carolina headquarters. One really cool thing that Okuma does is when you buy a brand new Okuma CNC machine, they back it up with this Think, T-H-I-N-C, Developers Group. It's a team of people that help get you the answers that you need to know to make your CNC machining that much more efficient. Check it out. Register now. Okuma Summer Showcase 2019. Just put that in your Google bar. And we're going to be there on the 24th, too. So if you want to come on the 24th, Jason and I are going to be there doing a live stage show. Register now. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Hey, I'm doing well. Great. On a, what is it, Thursday afternoon? Yes. Out at Zenger's Industrial Supply? Yes. We're yes. recording in my office. Yeah, it's, it feels good. I didn't I have to drive into the city today, but... You like my office? I got the whiteboard. I got the weight um, set so I can do some yeah, bench pressing okay. and it's some curls. Not, it's not my brand, but that's okay. I, I, I'm comfortable here. You know what I mean? It's comfortable. The chair's good. You've got free Wi-Fi and you just got me a Pellegrino and I'm smiling. You're what very can, what, spoiled. Not, no can, normal water for you. You no, need to have a, I had to have you a know, Pellegrino fancy today. Pellegrino. Yeah. Oh, I, ha- I had the lemon zest in it too. So it was pretty good as a matter of fact, but thank you. I appreciate that. Very high maintenance so your, ho- your hospitality is awesome. So thank you for that. But again, it And I'm going to challenge you to some weightlifting after this episode. Well, I don't know. You, you know, I've been exercising for a long time and- uh, Bring it, Jim Carr. I can do it. <laughs> you want to do some push-ups? All right, let's pause for a minute. Okay. <laughs> Not a working nation. We're going to do some... No, just kidding. No. So, Jim, question for you. Yes. Have you seen that movie with Will Smith? I forgot what it's called, the iRobot. Yeah. Or is that a different movie? No, that, no. Is, that is Will Smith. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever ones were... That's an old one. Or no, no, no. It's the one where... The, I don't know. Anyway, there's this movie he where... Part you know, robot. Yes. Yeah, where the yeah. robots take over and, yes. you know... Are you ready for when that happens? When they're going to um, come out to replace you? When they no honestly, longer need you to quote honestly, jobs? I have to admit that I do have a lot of years behind me and it is quite crazy to think about the changes in our society, the changes in our culture, the new laws that are being implemented. I would never have believed if you would have asked me 40 years ago if there'd be all these changes in culture. So when I think about robotic technology and robots running the world three cpo something like that the jetsons yeah i think man i could see that potentially in my lifetime when you were a kid was it the jetsons it was the jetsons okay it was yeah judy and george jetson Mm -hmm. yeah that was that's what it was about you know microwave ovens and everything else i know our guest is shaking his head saying, what is he talking about? But that's okay. <laughs> exactly. We'll get to that in a little I, bit. I'm sure the, manufa- yeah. the I mean, manufacturing leaders that are listening know exactly what I'm talking. And if you do, send me an email and say, yes, Jim, I know what the Jessons are. So today we're going to talk to our special guest who we're going to introduce shortly about his first experience implementing cobots into their operations or another term that I've heard before, Cocobots. 
but they're different than robots because we're going to talk about what that's all about today. Interested to hear this. So uh, they're not new to robotics, but they are new. It is their first cobot, and I think it's not going to be their last. Well, cobot. I hope we're going to define what the differences are. We are. We, we will talk about that, but we sold them actually their them. cobot, and they are putting that into place simply for that other term that we talk about all the time: the skills gap that needs to be solved. Right. We need to solve the skill gap, and cobots are a part of that. So it certainly is. Before we get there, what are you, you challenged with right now, Jim? What am I challenged with this this week? Yes, this week. Huh. It's, what is keeping you awake at night? Yeah, so it's been deliveries, and it's been these new customers are challenging us to procure material, heat treating, machine the parts. And then have them finished via electroless nickel, black anodized, chem processing, any of those in crazy, crazy amounts of time. And it's been very challenging. We're doing a lot of work for the aerospace and aviation department of defense. So there's a lot of regulations and certifications that we have to put into place and approvals to utilize any of these special finishing companies. So it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. So this morning I was working on finding an approved process vendor for a job that's going to be coming out of our machines next week. And they have to turn around this finish in a very short amount of time. So yeah, over the last couple of years, your a lot of your pain, a lot of your crying has been centered around coatings. It seems. It, oh, it, you're absolutely right. It certainly has been. But we made some great leaps and bounds over the last few years, and we've learned a lot about it. That's what's keeping me awake at night. And it's not bad. I'm not complaining. But when I wake up at 3 a.m. and I can't sleep, that's probably the thing that's on my mind the most. How about you? I would say that what's keeping me up at night is I just had an all-day meeting yesterday It's it, with our owner. It's like an ownership, visionary, leadership meeting, and we're going to go through some very, very, I'm excited about it, some very, very positive restructuring in the company. And I'm really, really excited about it. And I think it's going to be good. It might be a little bit painful in, in the very beginning, but I think it's going to be a really, really good thing for the company overall. So Change is not fun. No. But it's we need so, to ratchet up the high performance is what it comes down to. And you know, we need to do it. It's, it's going to happen. You have to do it. You have to do it. You have to exactly. do it. Anytime that I've ever had major change in my career, I've always dreaded, what do they call it the th- in EOS? The 36 hours of pain. Right. So once you decide that you have to make that decision, you go through 36 hours of pain where you're actually feeling it. There's a hardship. Mm -hmm. But after that 36 hours has passed, all of a sudden it starts getting a lot better. And I guarantee that in just a matter of weeks or months, you're going to reap the rewards of that. Essentially, if I were to make an analogy, you know, we're a service company. You and, are. You know, More sa- than I am. Yeah, yeah, a sales and service company. And so what we're going to do is we're going to move kind of like as if it was like cellular manufacturing, I guess could be an analogy, where instead of having a operations department that's doing fulfillment and a outside sales that's doing sales and a customer service department, we're going to put together customer-centric little cells of a team, a small team of sales, service, and support and fulfillment. And those are going to be focusing on you know, just delivering the highest customer experience and being as productive as possible for that particular customer segment, for good that stuff. group of customers. Good stuff. So, awesome. so it's going to be a change. So it'll be good though. Good luck. Tell us about the Boring Bar. We don't have Caleb or Nick here to tell us about the Boring Bar. So why don't you tell the Metalworking Nation yeah. about the Boring Bar? Have you ever been in the Boring Bar before? Um, do, do you know what it looks like? I know what it's going to look like. I haven't been there yet. I know. Well, 
you know what's kind of funny? I had to explain this to my lunch guest today because they asked the same thing. What the boring bar was? What the boring what is the boring bar? And the boring bar is typically it was birthed out of an avatar of manufacturers that go into a bar at the end of their shift. After a hard day of work. I would like to classify it as a tavern, and that's what I visualize when I think of the boring bar. And they're all there talking about the boring things that are going on in manufacturing, about how they use their boring bar to do that precision bore that day. Like they got a new grade on an insert. It's just, it's performing that much better. And most people would look at it and be like, what are you talking about? Right. Because anybody outside of our industry, when they, we start talking our industry among each other, it's interesting. It's interesting to us, but it's certainly to our, boring to everybody else. To like your wife or something. Oh my God, my wife has no idea. And she instantly becomes bored and closes her ears. The boring bar to us right now is our weekly newsletter where we curate all this content of the week. It's our podcast. It's our curated news article. Original it's our, articles. It's our chip-in contribution from our friends and peers. That's what it is. And it's going to be branded. We're going to, we're working on having an icon for it. It's probably going to be pretty cool. And ultimately, our headquarters in Rockford that we're going through right now and designing, we're going to actually have a real A bar. real bar. With two tappers and probably some whiskey that if you want to do a shot of whiskey, I don't drink whiskey, but I'll certainly indulge on the craft beer. And if it's really successful, maybe but we can, you know, can franchise the concept of having an actual boring bar and open up real bars and restaurants in the future. You just never know. And you know, I'm, do a, you, Jim Carr? I'm a professional bartender, you know. Well, then Did you, you will, know that? Then you'll work when there. When I was in my 20s, I was a, a bartender. Then you'll you'll be the one to work can, behind I'll the bar. I'll work the bar, man. I do accept tips. Anyway, I'm not going to tip you. Just so you know. Anyway, tell us about some manufacturing news this week. Yeah, I do have some manufacturing news. So this is also makes sense for the episode that we have today. But the title of the article is The Great Robot Takeover, Fact or Fiction. Hmm. So this article is from Industry Week. The subtitle is It's Inevitable, The Robot Invasion is Coming, But That's Not Necessarily a Bad Thing. The article starts out, it's kind of interesting, and you might not be a... I love Lucy fan, but if yeah, I know what that you I know, know what it is. Show. So, so the one thing, one of the reasons that I was able to endear my wife is that she was a huge I love Lucy fan. I remember one of the first couple dates we had, she made me watch I love Lucy for a couple hours, and I think she figured that if I was able to endure that with her, that I was a keeper. So I watched <laughs> a lot of I love Lucy over the over the years. So my, I don't know for some reason my wife just In black loves and white. it. Yeah, and then and then my daughter like loves I Love Lucy now, or at least she used to watch it. But anyway, so there was an episode of I Love Lucy that was very similar to a problem that happened at General Motors in 1970. So I don't know if you remember this I Love Lucy plant, but Lucy and Ethel were in a chocolate the, factory. Oh God, and remember it's the a classic. It's a classic. classic. It's one of the top ones. And people let it know the chocolate was moving too fast, and they were trying to shove it down their mouths. And basically, the robots were beating the humans. Is essentially the tagline. It and, was funny. Yeah. So what happened in the General Motors situation in 1970 is that same thing quality suffered because the robots were moving too fast a control box was set on fire seats and wiring were slashed and the workers at gm went on strike for 22 days and it cost gm 150 million dollars 
because the robot was too ahead of its time, apparently. No so kidding. yeah, it's kind of interesting. And what this article said is, is nearly 50 years later, the manufacturing industry is facing a similar battle with a new breed of robots on the market and more sophisticated automation solutions arriving every day. Many workers once again feel like they're on the front lines of a full-scale robot takeover. Hmm. Do you think hmm. it's a takeover? No, I don't think it's a takeover. I, think, it I think it's techni- sometimes these articles are yeah, dramatized, yeah, and, but that's okay. It's it's a, somebody's perspective, but I think it's just like you know what I see in my shop is just like not only CNC technology, but I see cam technology is really the leader lately because what I used to do in the mid '80s and early '90s when I was on the shop floor running CNC machines is I was using GNM code programming G O X one inch Y minus two inches Z zero you know initial plane G eighty one G ninety blah 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 we didn't have we weren't utilizing cam technology like we are today I would say. of the jobs that we run in our, no, 95% of the jobs that we run in our shop now is that tool path is generated and mastered. And you don't even have to touch it. Yeah, you just, you create the tool path. and you're done. It converts that tool path into a GNM code program and then it post-processes it into what machine tool that it's going to be running. And that happens so fast, Jason. Mm -hmm. So what I see is just the technology movement moving forward in a capacity that's appropriate for the manufacturer. So if you're running production and you're doing a lot of arduous, cumbersome, labor-intensive work, maybe a robot or a cobot would be the ideal new technology to implement into your business. Whereas in our shop, it may not be there yet. And I look forward to- We've you, talked about it a little I bit. I look forward to what our guest has to say because I've got lots of questions for him. But most importantly, I think it's just taking technology and really amping it up. Whether it's robotic technology or cam technology or CNC technology or tooling technology, it's all the same thing. And it's great. It's it's helping our lives hopefully be a little bit easier to get through. So Yeah, so go, going back to this article, th- these are some interesting numbers to think about. Universal Robots, which is the brand that we sell was one of the first collaborative robots back in 2008, and they're currently the market leader. And the company has grown in size 500% since 2015. 500% since 2015. So to put in perspective, they sold 6,300 units between 2012 and 2015, and now they're at 30,000. So their sales have grown exponentially. And right now, Cobots, which we're going to talk about today, were only 3% of robot sales, but it's supposed to get up to 34% over the next seven years or one third of the marketplace. So clearly your standard robotics, which are not collaborative, are the leader in volume, but cobots are going to be taking over. So that that's also interesting. But one of the one of what they talk about is also that one of the most successful implementations for another automotive company, Ford, is actually using the cobot in their vision or quality inspection. So what used to be like a really monotonous task, now the cobot goes through and scans the parts and then just alerts somebody when they need to get involved as opposed to the human going through and scanning the parts. It's out of tolerance. Yeah. It bumps yeah, it out. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it, why should a person sit there and start scanning that part when there's nothing wrong with it, when you could just program a cobot just to do that? And then 
it sounds off an alarm and he goes over there and he, he goes through the manual process at that point. So I think that there's, you know, you're just going to see this robotic revolution just explode. Got it. Well, I have so many questions for my guest. I'm actually opening up my notes that I took down earlier before we hit the button because I don't want to forget them. But before we bring him in, you want to share with the Metalworking Nation how to subscribe to make the very new, cool, highly technological way, an easy way to subscribe to the Boring Bar. Yeah, so I'm not going to give a lot of details. I want to keep it a surprise, but oh, it's very simple. It's not that big of a secret. So I'm going to say the number a couple times so you all can stop driving did you say or stop y'all? working. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I've, my wife's from Dallas, remember? Oh, okay. So, so here's the number. You're going to text to this number 38470. Once again, that's 38470. And you're going to text the word chips. C-H-I-P-S. Not Jim, not Jason. Chips. No, it's not always about you, Jim. No. Chips. Chips. C-H-I-P-S. Yes. yes. To 38470. And you will be instantaneously connected to making chips. Jim, so let's move along here. Let's get to the heart of the episode. Jim, could you introduce our guest, please? So yes, Jason, I'm interested to hear what our guest today has to share about this new cobotic technology. Already, I'm excited to interview him or be part of this interview because just for the 40 minutes I talked to him already, he, he sounds like a great guy and he's got a great story. His name is Elias Sehoya. He's originally from Brazil. He moved to Israel with his family when he was just 16, young man, and then moved to the United States after meeting his now wife and moved to Chicago where he joined the E.J. Basler as a mechatronics engineer. Welcome. Elias. Thank you. Thank you guys. Welcome for to the show. How did it's Jim a, do? How did I do? Oh, you did a great Articulation job. Articulation-wise. Yeah. So for the Metalworking really Nation, tried. that was Jim's third try of saying his name. <laughs> and if you listen on to the end, you'll probably hear all the bloopers yeah. where Jim and I, tries to fail. I do think I'm kind of cool, but at the end of the day, we were just Jim's saying, always trying to roll his tongue and it's, yeah, it's, well, it's really, you know. I appreciate the articulation and being as authentic as you can. Especially when you have a boring name like Jason Zenger or Jim yeah, or Carr. Or Jim Carr. Yeah. I mean, Your is name a, is just a little bit more boring than mine is. It's two syllables. Yeah, at least if mine you, has a Z in it. Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Mine's about I just wanted to try to make you feel is, better by saying Benign is the well, Mine's pretty cool. Mine's pretty brag, cool, too. Can I brag just a little bit? You can bit? brag. Sure, of course. Elias Sehuya. Yeah. There, there you go. go. Yeah. I he love says it, it right. So let, let's start. What brought you to this position at EJ Basler as their mechatronics engineer? Well, when I got to America, coming from Israel, I got into EJ Basler because my wife's father is the CEO of the company. So he said, hey, look, I have an opening over here. You can be the engineering intern for EJ Basler and just try it out, see, see what you think. And I joined the company. So I started at EJ Basler as a engineering intern. And as the intern, I, I used to do a lot of cycle time studies and run efficiency charts and help around with the engineering team. Then a year later, I had the opportunity to lead one of our production cells. And I was there for, for two years. It was great. I learned a lot about cycle times, about tooling, manufacturing processes. And a few years later, I had another opportunity to be the quality engineer for the company. You know, the, the position opened up and, and obviously I, say, I said, yes, I want to take and give it a try. That was where I really learned a lot about the business because I think in, in quality, you are exposed to so many different areas, aspects of the business. And, you know, the scope of work is so broad and you're always in 
put into new situations with your customers and your, you know, your internal customers. It's always changing. It's always changing. It's always changing. Exactly. It's always changing. So, so that's where I really got to learn about manufacturing. It was, it was a good job. I see the benefit of it. However, answering your question, you know, there was still an, an aspect in me that was missing. Being, you had a void. I had a void. And the void was really creativity, right? I wasn't necessarily creating new things and innovating. And okay. that's what I really need as a, as a person. I need a, a job or, or something where I can innovate. And yeah, innovate. where there's, say there's a problem or somewhere where we can make an improvement and you start from scratch and you're like, solve this problem. Exactly. Yeah. It solved that problem. So that was, that's what I was missing. I mean, even when I was a quality engineer, I would go back to my office after the day and, and I would sit in front of my computer and I would create a spreadsheet that was linked to another spreadsheet that had a macro running on the background cool. you know, that sent a SQL cool. query to the... So I was always thinking about ways to automate, ways to, to make my future self so you were being proactive. Being proactive. Yeah. Yes, instead yeah. of that's reactive. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And did that, br- a- did that bring you to working with the robotics then eventually? Exactly. Yeah. Because but I, I always- Before we go there, yeah, go ahead, I, Jim. I, a quick question. Sure. What, you know, I've heard of mechatronics before. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Is it a degreed career or what, what does it really mean? What does the word mean? What does the word yeah. mean? Yeah. If you think about automation, it goes hand in hand with mechatronics. It's it's a multidisciplinary approach to solving problems. So inside mechatronics, if you think about mechatronics as a bubble, you're going to find software automation. You're going to find SAS, mechanical automation, mass. There you go, <laughs> mathematics, chemistry, and and computing, and cloud, and you electronics. Know, electronics, exactly. So the, the the word mechatronics stands for the combination of mechanical systems and electronic systems. Right? Awesome, I get it now. Yeah, so it's really a multidisciplinary type of thinking. It's automation. And then what brought you to to working in the robotics? Because I know we're going to talk today about collaborative robots, but that wasn't the first robot that you got to work with at EJ Basler, correct? Exactly. It was an opportunity. You know, my, my whole life, I always gravitated towards automation, robotics included, right? Not, not only. So I, whether it's spreadsheet automation or, or exactly. mechanical oper- automation. Yes. Or electrical automation or, or exactly, or software automation. I, was, I normally go back home and I, Is I that your think passion? about it. That's my passion. Yeah. I, mean, I go back home and I go online yeah, and how I can do we research do this about better? it. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm always thinking about it. So that's what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. So that's so, how I ended up in this position because I always gravitate towards automation. You saw an improvement where you could really use your creativity and the mechatronics in order to help, I, I would suppose, the bottom line, the cycle times, all that kind of stuff that, that adds to that continuous improvement that every manufacturing company needs to be focused on. Right. We've all heard, and maybe there's a lot of people out in the metalworking nation, we are hearing these new words, robotic technology, cobotic technology. Can you tell us at a 30,000-foot level, what the differences are. What is the difference between robotic technology and cobotic technology? So the main difference between collaborative robots, cobots, and regular robots as we know them is that cobots can share the same work environment and the same workspace as a human being. So will, will they bump into you or... I know that like with robotic technology, I've seen like an area on a floor that's got like a yellow line that you can't pass beyond that. Or, or else, it's fenced off. Or it's fenced off or the, the machine just going to shut down. If you enter that zone with a cobot, are there any restrictions 
or does the does the cobot actually engage with human? Is there human engagement with the cobot? That's a good point. The benefit of using a cobot, right, is that because it's a collaborative robot, you can let it share the same workspace with a human being. So you don't necessarily need to fence or enclose the entire area or put a yellow tape. It depends on the application, of course, but you don't have to enclose the area. And that gives you some some extra savings, right? In, some flexibility. In flexibility, some, some extra savings in regards to safety, right? You don't need uh, safety fences. You don't need safety hardware. You don't need safety sensors. You don't need a safety redundancy inside your, your controller's logic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you if you bump the cobot or the cobot bumps you, it stops. It would and stop. It's oh, ne- and see, there's regul yeah, and there's didn't regulations on the speed that it can travel or the velocity such that so it's, it's not, not going super to hurt fast. you. It's not going to hurt you. Yes. Is it is it move like a human moves like at that same pace? We all know that the advantages, I would assume, yeah, it's, with it's, a cobot. Yeah, it's meant to mimic in a lot of ways, like I say, a human arm. I, that would be you know, a simplified way of, of thinking but it, about it. It's not going to have this huge velocity behind it. No, it's not about no. speed. Right, whereas those traditional, like you think of like the welding robots. Yeah, I mean, if it's you, like if going one of those 100 bumps, miles an hour. If one of those bumps into you, I mean, it could kill you. Bone, you yeah, know, or, right. Yeah, absolutely. So this is just taking away arduous, redundant safety dangerous type. Well, it's just like if you're working next to another person, you're not going to suspect that that person's going to hurt you in the way that they're interacting in their environment. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Okay. Same thing with this collaborative robot. Does that sound okay? Yeah, absolutely. That's okay. fair. So is Cobot collaborative robots, is it for everybody? Is it for a, a machine shop like mine that is doing low volume work? What would be a good application for a shop like mine? And I've shared with you just a little bit based on what you heard about what, what we do at Car Machine. Could there potentially be a certain application for a shop like mine? And what would that be? So for, for shops that run lower amounts of production, I think because you don't have that very repetitive type of work in a shop, right. you'd have to obviously find the right application that takes away some of the human work now, some some of that could be related to quality assurance. Mm. You know, let's say you want to inspect all your parts, right? You could mount a laser sensor to your cobot, then you could scan the pieces and just let it run. That way, you'd actually be automating your inspection processes. Right? Understood. Understood. Yeah, and what one of the other advantages you have with say cobots as opposed to your traditional robots is, you know, with a traditional robot, you're spending a lot of money to set that robot up to program the software. And to make sure that it's repeatedly running at a at a high pace, for you, Jim, in like a lower production environment, whereas EJ Basler is more of a high production environment. But for you in low production, that cobot is so easy to reprogram on a new job that it could make sense for, say, machine tending if you had, say, like a medium production job or it was something bigger than a couple parts, but you needed the machine to to do the tending for you instead of your operator doing it. So does that make sense? It certainly does. Thank you for that. But you mentioned one thing that got my mind thinking about programming. What is the difference in skill level to program a robot versus a cobot? Is it teaching the cobot how to do it? Like moving the arm and it's 
you know how like when you do trace like a CNC, I would say, and you know, you tell it, it moves from this point to 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 this point. Is it kind of like the same thing with showing the cobot that you're going to move here and then you're going to move here and you're going to do this and then you're going to do that? Is it, is it just mimic the movements and it retains those points, those on the Cartesian coordinate system? Yeah, that's uh, that's essentially essentially what it is. You're basically teaching your cobot or robot in the same way that a cobot would do. A regular robot would also work as you're just teaching points in space, right? Right, so, exactly. So you move to a position, you record that point in space. Got it. That's what I thought. And then you move to the next one, right? And somewhere in between your, your logic, you would have conditions, right? So you'd look for inputs from a sensor. So if you're about to grab a workpiece from a table, you would uh, basically look for an input that says, hey, that workpiece is actually in place. Go ahead, robot, and close your gripper, and so on. So that way you build your logic. I understand. Another thing that you just mentioned is... Do all cobots have grippers on them? They, they must, because otherwise it, it has to automate a process, right? So these grippers, do you change them out based on the size of the part, based on the weight of the part? Are there capacity issues or, or what? Well, at least in our case, we tend to either 3D print or grippers. Uh, oh, that's a possibility depending okay. on the application. Or you could also make them out of metal. But yes, as long as your cobot, the application you're using the cobot for includes handling, okay. any type of material, yes, you do need grippers. Yeah, so like in their case, the application that I've seen, they're, they are handling material, so it, it does need to have a gripper. But if you remember back to that manufacturing news article where they're talking about Ford Motor Company as the example, it was purely doing inspection. So I would, I would suppose, I mean, I haven't been there, but I would suppose that it just had visual inspection equipment on it as opposed to gripping and placing any kind of materials. So you, you've got that flexibility for sure in order to solve a lot of different problems, even beyond just like the traditional picking up and placing of parts. Very cool. Very cool. Jim, don't you have online chat for Car Machine and Tool? As a matter of fact, we do. And, you know, John just mentioned me the other day that somebody was chatting with him online. I'm like, great. That's all millennials want to do, right? Yeah, and that's why Zometry has it as well. I know. It's fantastic. You can just go right to the thing. If you have a question, just go right to the chat box, type in your question, and they can answer it for you right away. Yeah, there's a little box that says help with a bubble. Type your questions in there, and away you go. Go to Zometry.com. X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. So how did you go about choosing the first, I guess, problem you were going to solve or just continuous improvement that you were going to go after when you decided to to implement Cobots at EJ Basler? How did you say, this is the right application that we need to, to implement Cobots into? At Basler, we watch or, or costs, right? Like any business, you're going to be watching your costs, cost of operation, cost of quality, engineering, first-time quality, all the famous metrics that we, we know in manufacturing. It's the name of the game in manufacturing. Exactly. Yeah. And and if, you are a point, if you're at a point where you have those metrics, it's going to be easy, somewhat easy for you to identify it, the, the opportunities for automation. Sometimes automation doesn't necessarily come from a operation that's suffering. Right. So let's say you're running 100 operations in your shop. You see that one 
is not being as profitable as you'd like to, right? And you decide to automate. That's one case. But you could also just have an idea and say, hey, maybe this is an innovative way to improve and optimize this, this process, which doesn't necessarily come from identifying a lack of profit. Can, so can you just few... walk around the shop? And, you know, because I've been in shops before and, and I'm like, I, I'm cobot, watching that. There's a cobot following you? No, there's no Cobot following me, but I'm, okay. I'm, I'm pointing out and say, Cobot, you need to go over there because that person is doing a task over and over and over again Redundant. at the same time. Yeah. And I know from talking to the owner of that shop that he's having trouble hiring people. So I'm like, okay, replace him or her, that operation with a Cobot, put them into a higher use or have them working along so they can move at a quicker pace so that you can make better use of your people. Does that sound like a fair assessment of, of how to look at opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the best ways, right? Okay. The best thing you can do is just walk around your shop and just observe. And, you know, just by observing, you see, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here. Obviously, you need to know what's possible. So uh, having someone who can integrate or someone who can at least identify those next to you as you walk around is, is a benefit. So the Cobot application that caught my eye when I was at EJ Basler recently was not your traditional application that people talk about, that people go after first. People usually, they, they say, okay, well, I want, a, I want a Cobot to do machine tending. I want a Cobot to pick in place. I want a Cobot to do inspection, hook up a camera to it, and you know, away we go. You're working on an application that seems a little bit more complex. You're not doing any of those. Can you tell us a little bit about this application and why you decided to go after this particular one? Yeah, of course. You are right by saying that most Cobot, right, co collaborative robotics applications would be for machine tending or, or material handling or an operation where you have both humans and robots working at the same time. In our case, this, this machine that we're building is for a debugging operation. Right now, this operation is all being done manually and it's really costly. It's also very physically demanding to our operators and we would like to automate. So although there's no collaboration hand in hand between oh the, the cobot. cobot's not handing it to a human right which is most oh is that right that's most integrations are the cobot is handing it to a human or at least there's some collaboration the, within the some level space. of collaboration really? yep. interesting yes because you are sharing that workspace with a person it's complete so let's say for for example machine tending right yes you have a, a robot right in front of a machine receiving parts from an operator in some way and then the robot is putting those parts in, taking them out, and usually the operator is still doing the some inspection. So somewhere in between, you have an overlap between the cobot, right, and, yep. and the operator. Or they mm -hmm. might be handing it off for another, for a second op or something. Or for a like second that. op, exactly. So in most cases, at least from walking around and watching what people are doing, uh, that's mostly the case. In our case, we decided to completely eliminate the, the human interaction from this very demanding, physically demanding operation. We use is it deburring like on a pedestal grinder or? I mean, does it, once the cobot grabs the piece part, does it have to pick it up numerous times? Because I would imagine the grippers on the cobot are going to be over the areas of the workpiece, and it has to grab it so we can remove a burr from like a pedestal grinder or something else. It's a good point. That could be the case. Uh, in our case, because we're so lucky, <laughs> we don't have to deburr all around the workpiece. Okay. Right? So we actually have some areas where we could just grip and not move, right? So you don't have to actually clear that area and then come back to deburr it, right? It, it's burr-free already. So if you grip on it, you can finish the entire operation without re-gripping. So you're gripping on the deburred area already, 
and making it? Does it go to a pedestal grinder, or what is the deburring operation? We're using a buffing wheel. A buffing wheel. Uh, okay, it, perfect. We have tried different types of, of wheel. And sure. Obviously, depending on what material you're using, some some will right. work better than others. Totally get it. And, and essentially, the cobot is mimicking the motions that the human was doing prior. One of the things that I noticed that you have that low voltage box, which you explained to me, is is the brains and controls the universal robot, which is not the typical. Typically, users use the controller for the universal robot, but you have that that control box that's doing it instead, right? So to me, that's a little bit more complex there. I see. So when we decided to automate this uh, particular job, well, obviously we had a few options, right? You could do exactly what you said, which is have the robot be the brains of the operation and handle all the signals that you have have to use. You know, for example, you, you, the robot is going to tell the motor when to move so that you can deburr. It's going to tell it when to stop. It's going to tell camera went to take a picture of that deburred edge to make sure that it was actually cleaned. In my case, I decided to split the, the controls. So have I decided to have a PLC actually be the brains of the operation and use the robot as a separate controller and just put a handshake between the two. So the controller would essentially know at all times, the main controller would know at all times where the cobot is at and every other component within that cell. And and what was the reason for that? Because we had so many components running at the same time. The same time that I had to do inspection with the camera, I had to make sure that we have parts being fed. So, So when you have so many subsystems actually integrating between themselves, I find it easier to actually have one main controller and have each subsystem work independently so also have the the cobot be a subsystem right so it- understood you know i know you you're part of the family at ej basler and customers i'm sure come and visit you as they do visit jim carr's shop and my place of business and everybody out there we're all we're all showing customers around about you know wow we're a great company to do business with you should give us more business do you believe that in the future a company such as yours cobotics and robotics are going to be what i would call table stakes like if you're not showing the customer that you have implemented robotics, they might be hesitant about doing further business with you in the future. You know, I don't know if you, if they would hesitate to, of doing business with you in the future, but I do know that automation is really attractive. I do know that when customers come in and you show them a system that you fully automated, especially doing it yourself in-house, that's attractive and people like it. They, they see that you're trying to keep up and improve, you know, keep up with innovation. And well, you're trying technology. to be progressive, exactly. exactly. Because mm-hmm. if, if you're not, you're going to eventually just fall into the fold and go away. If you're not trying to keep your technology high, you're eventually going to you're going to be status quo, and then after status quo, you're just going to be below the bar. And yeah, it's then, like when your dad told you you didn't want to buy a CNC machine, Yes, right? exactly. Kind of, sort of, exactly. But and you, and you, you said, no, Dad, it. we're going CNC. Well, actually, he was the one that said, we're going to go CNC. I, I do know some companies yeah. out there where their dad said that. and yeah, they're, not, they're not around anymore, yeah, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. So al- along those same, those same lines, I know that the Basler family does a lot of work at Leiden High School, who who actually we've done an episode with before in the past, I think it was episode 56 and 57, and they definitely pour into those young kids and trying to groom them to come into the manufacturing industry. Do you think robotics is attractive to that younger generation? Do you think if a kid out of high school and he's ready to go into manufacturing and he goes to a shop that doesn't have robotics and he goes to a shop that does have robotics, do you think he's going to say... 
you know, I really want to be with this company that's more progressive, like Jim said, and has those and has those robotics options out there. I believe so. I mean, if you think about the younger generation, what do they have in their pockets? Right, they have a, a piece of equipment that that's so technology t- technologically advanced that they can look up anything, anytime that they want. Right, so it basically they have so much power in their hands that when they go to a place that is not at least trying to keep up with some level of technology, yes, it's it's not as attractive as one that has cobots running all over the place. I think Great. so. So my last question, what does the future look like at EJ Basler for cobots? More? Absolutely. I think so. I believe so. Today, we have a list of projects that will keep us busy until 2021. And a lot of them actually includes uh, cobotic and robotics and automation. Great. Jim, do you have any final questions? I don't. I can see already that it's opening my mind to being receptive to seeing if there's an opportunity for us to employ this in our shop. Maybe as we start to explore the higher volume type work, I don't know, but certainly... I appreciate the information that you shared with me and Jason and the entire Metalworking Nation today because I think we all need to be thinking progressively and thinking about what the next vision is for our company and what our shops are going to look like in one, two, three, five, ten years. And I definitely see that this is going to be part of every manufacturing company in yeah. the future. I yeah, don't know absolutely. How, so. And if you don't have that young person that is a mechatronics engineer like Elias on their team, it can probably be really intimidating. But I think it's like Jim said, it's something that you need to start exploring. And the reason that making chips exists is to bring this community together and make each other better and elevate the industry. So I would say if you're if you have questions about this, email Jim and I. Let us know what your questions are about Cobotics because we love to talk about it on the show and let us know what your your pain points are. Let us know what your experience is using Cobotics because you know there's so much discussion to be had about this subject matter. As we talked about in the manufacturing news, it is just growing and growing and What's growing. What's your email address? My email is jason at makingchips.com. Great. And guess who you are? Jim at makingchips.com. There you go. Easy peasy. Yeah. So, Jim, would you like to take another stab at his at his name and thank him for being on the show? Elias <laughs> Sayura. <laughs> and he's nice to me. He just lets me call him Elias. <laughs> no, Jim. I'll let, I'll, let you, I'll let you say it. Elias Sayura. Muy bien. Thank you. Yeah, oh, so thank, thank you, you for being thank on you. the show. Yeah, it's been I mean, great. It's definitely, you taught me something here, and, and, and I appreciate it, and I hope to see a lot more cobots in your future. Yeah, me too. Yeah, appreciate it, man. So Jason, wow, what a, another good episode, another great guest. And I like Very that you're insightful. thinking about this, Jim, and that you said you're thinking uh, about it for I'm your always, shop. Because I'm thinking ago, about a lot well, of things. Year, a year ago, you told about me- about retirement, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> a year, let's replace you with a robot. I've said that before. We can replace <laughs> you with a robot on making chips on the podcast, too. You can, yeah. To do the quality, I, well, I, at the I'd shop. like to see that. I'd like to see that. But at the end of the day, it's all good, and I, it's it's all positive. And yeah, we have to be constantly thinking about the future and ways to be better tomorrow, mm-hmm. because. You know how fast time goes, man. Oh. A year, two, three, five, you peel them off like crazy. And the next thing you know, if you're not adapting to the new technologies that are available to us, you're going to be just washed away. And you're thinking about retirement. Quo. And then you're going to be washed, yeah, status quo. I think you should keep working and for a while. I am, I am. I'm, I like what I do. I, I enjoy the daily challenge. But anyway, just before we go and we say our closing notes, I just 
Again, remember to text CHIPS, C-H-I-P-S, to 38470 so you can get all the news and information on our weekly... 38470. 38470, right, because they need to be equipped, inspired on our weekly newsletter called The Boring Bar. The Boring Bar. The Boring Bar. So with that, as my dad used to say back in the 70s, and now we have robots that are doing the things for us, if you're not making chips, maybe you're or maybe your robot, maybe your robot can chips. be making chips. You're not making money. You bet. Bam. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. Elias Seroya. He's telling no. you wrong. <laughs> no. Remember, Damn. the accent is on the, on the eye, so Elias. Elias. Elias, perfect. Okay, we'll start it again. <laughs> you know, I wrote it down. Hey, Jason, you know I love acronyms, right? And we've got the Making Chips acronym book, right? Yeah, so what do you want to add to it? Well, it's called FSBS. Are you swearing in that I one? I am not swearing in that, and it's all about pro shop ERP. So what does it mean? What we're using, it's for- Let me guess, the S means shop. Four shops by shops. Well, that's how that software was made. It was. Shop floor guys developed this software, and let me tell you, it is no BS. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information.